0: Morning, as we've gathered together to worship on this uh, Labor Day weekend, and thankful that some are able to take advantage of the opportunity to travel and uh, get out during uh, this time when we hadn't got out much, and so uh, uh, the traditional ending of summer and and, uh, uh, so uh, uh, and beautiful weather this weekend. We're thankful for uh, uh, long weekend and. during our service today, we will uh, culminate with our observance of the Lord's Supper and, uh, and certainly be focusing toward that uh, during our service this morning. Um, and, and in light of that, our call to worship will be Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. And Miss uh, Fikes shared a prayer request. There's a family up in the Peppertown area, uh, the Dowerty family, that uh, has experienced a, uh, a tragic loss their son killed in an accident and their, uh, um, and then the father had a heart attack so we need to be praying for that family this morning are there other prayer needs prayer concerns all right let's uh, let's begin our time together with prayer Lord God we uh, Come before your throne of grace and just give you praise for who you are lord and we're we're so thankful for your your goodness and your majesty and your your power and your grace and lord we uh, need to be reminded of our our duty our obligation to give you praise for for who you are and for what you have done for us and what you accomplish each day and just sustaining your your universe and your creation and lord we confess that so often our our prayers are self-centered and selfish and uh, self-seeking, and so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, your spirit would help us to be people who who praise and and uh, show thanks and gratitude for your constant goodness and grace for us. And, Lord, we do lift up this family, uh, the Dowerty family, to you and just pray that you would provide your comfort and your grace and your peace, and Lord, we just ask for uh your provision for them and uh, this time the unbelievable time of grief and Lord, we pray for those who might come alongside and provide care and support and comfort that you grant them wisdom and grace as they serve and minister to this family we pray for the father's recovery and uh, those that are uh, providing care for him Lord, that you would just minister your power and your glory uh, into their lives and Lord, we pray that from this tragedy you would show them your glory and and uh, and your mercy and your comfort, well, we do pray for Mike as he continues to recover from his procedure, and Miss Deborah as she recovers, and uh, and Lord, we pray for Danny and his treatments, Miss Davis and her treatments, and we just ask your continued provision to those that we that we know that are struggling with physical illness and concerns. And we do pray for the Gentry families; they travel. We pray it be a good time of refreshment and renewal for them, and safety as they return home and to work, and that you would grant them your your comfort and Your grace, Lord, we do pray for our nation during this long weekend, and Lord, we just pray that people would be able to uh, just enjoy Your creation, enjoy family, and Lord, and just enjoy some uh, some time of refreshment during a long weekend during a, uh, a what has been a difficult summer, a difficult year for many. And we ask Your Your grace and Your provision for us. We do pray for our leaders that you grant them wisdom as they make decisions. We pray for the election cycle and uh, for wisdom as we speak, as we cast our votes. And or we just ask that you would raise up leaders that would lead us in, in truth and in righteousness. And Lord, we uh, ask that as we worship, you would minister to us your grace and your peace as we seek to to be the kind of worshipers after which you seek, those who will worship in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we Thank you for the reminder that you've given us in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper to uh, commemorate and to memorialize and even proclaim the death of Jesus as the source of our hope and our help until he comes again. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be exalted and glorified as we worship and as we observe this ordinance together as a church. And Lord, we just again pray for the day when all would feel comfortable and safe to to regather and to uh, be able to... to, uh, participate uh, face-to-face, in person, and uh, in worship. And so we just pray for uh, your provision and your grace in that way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, our call to worship this morning is going to come from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, we read of the suffering servant, the one that would be delivered over by the determined purpose, and foreknowledge of God, but be seized and handed over to lawless men to be crucified and put to death. In Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet, 800 years before those events, writes of them when he says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Lord God, we're thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, we're thankful for his death in our place, and that you have laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Lord, we just stand amazed that it pleased you to crush him and to make him as an offering for our sin. And Lord, we just stand in awe of your love and your grace and giving your son so that we might be forgiven without your justice being compromised. And so, Lord, we worship you for your great unspeakable gift to us in Christ Jesus, and Lord, we're thankful for his resurrection that, he, uh, that you vindicated him and you showed the acceptance of his sacrifice for sinners by raising him from the dead. And Lord, we're thankful that he is now present with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that your spirit would enable and empower us to worship you in spirit and truth. And it is in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to take out your... Uh, your hymnal this morning, the Book of Acts, Acts chapter two. We're continuing uh, to look at the first Christian sermon, uh, the sermon, first Christian sermon that Jesus, that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost when the feast of Pentecost was fulfilled, when the feast of first fruits was fulfilled, as God poured out His Holy Spirit on all the believers, male and female, and. Uh, 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 apostle and layperson he poured out his spirit on them as the first fruits the guarantee their full inheritance the full inheritance of redemption and on the fulfillment of the day of pentecost at the end of this sermon we will see the first fruits of believers harvested into the church the 3000 believers guaranteeing the full inheritance the full of redemption of all of God's elect that all would come into uh into his church through repentance and faith. And so uh, Acts chapter 2 talks about the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost, the fulfillment of the Feast of first fruits, And on that day, we see the first Christian sermon. And we've looked at this a couple weeks, and we saw that Peter began the sermon by explaining what had happened, by answering the mockers, saying that these people aren't drunk. What has really happened is the fulfillment of the prophecy. God has fulfilled the prophecy that he gave through Joel, has poured out His servant, His Spirit on all His servants, all of His believers, all of the believers, male and female, young and old, slave and free, all received the Holy Spirit. And then He gets into the main body of the sermon that we uh, began last week, and we see that uh, the key verse, the proposition, the thesis of the first Christian sermon is in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so that's the the proposition. Peter has the thesis statement at the end, and uh, in the sermon he builds toward that thesis with five main points. Uh, The first we looked at last week, verse 22, we see Jesus' miraculous, wonderful life. Uh, Verse 23, we see his... Crucifixion, his murder, that'll be our text today. And then verses 24 through 32, we see his glorious resurrection. And uh, uh, that's the bulk of the sermon that we'll look at next week, Lord willing. We'll see the resurrection. And so there's his wonderful life, his atoning death, his glorious resurrection. And then verse 33, his exaltation, being seated at the right hand of God. And then the first step, the fifth step, and uh, Jesus' exaltation as Lord and Christ is the receiving and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that the people have witnessed it. And so, uh, that's the the points of the sermon, or the five steps leading up to the main point, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Today, we'll look at the second of those steps in... uh, Acts 2, verse 23. But I'll read the entire sermon, and then we'll focus in on verse 23, our text, this morning. And so Acts, uh, Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is in my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father and promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he said to himself, he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just stand in awe of your sacrifice on our behalf, uh, your giving of Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord. And Lord, we're thankful that you have established him to be both Lord and Christ. And Lord, we pray that uh, uh, we grant him the worship and the adoration and the service and the obedience that He is due as our Lord. And Lord, we pray that we would uh, uh, trust in him Him alone for our salvation as our Christ, as Your anointed One, as the Messiah, that You have ordained, that would be the only name under heaven given by which we might be saved. And so, Lord, grant us faith. May Your Spirit teach us from Your Word this day, and may You be glorified and exalted in our worship, and in our observance of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, in our service today. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so verse 23, Peter says, Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death whom God raised up. And so we see uh, his explanation of the death of Jesus. And you know, there's a lot of talk uh, today about injustice. A lot of talk about uh, our justice system. You know, today there is the question: is 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 justice is, is justice done equally for all people? Nowadays, you know, everybody's got a video camera in their pocket, and uh, those video cameras can can capture a, a small part of an incident, and people can rush to justice, rush to judgment based on a small part of that incident. And then they wonder if justice was really done. And uh, we can rush to ju- judgment without all of the facts being available. And, uh, and, and, and there's probably less confidence in our justice system today than ever before in American history. People are wondering, does our system of justice provide equal justice to all? And when we think about that, and we think about the lack of confidence in our, our justice system, we've got to confess that that humans will never be able to perfectly bring, bring justice. No human system will ever be able to perfectly establish justice. And we, when we think of the death of Jesus, we've got to admit that there has never been a greater injustice than the murder of Jesus Christ. The greatest Injustice ever perpetrated in all of human history was the wrongful conviction and the sinful execution of Jesus Christ. Never before had there been a more innocent person than the sinless Son of God. And never before had anyone suffered so severely than Jesus when He died under the wrath of God being nailed to a cross and being forsaken by the Father as the Father laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Never was there anyone more innocent, never was there anyone who suffered so greatly than Jesus Christ. Even those who condemned Him recognized that He was faultless, that there was nothing that He had done that was wrong, and yet He was handed over to be executed handed over to be crucified, handed over to be put to death. And, and as Peter talks about the exalting of Christ, the fact that God has made Jesus, whom was crucified, both Lord and Christ, the second point that he puts in the, uh, the, the making of Christ, Lord and Christ, is his sacrificial atoning death. Last week we looked at his wonderful life, his miraculous life. Uh, Jesus was a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which He did through which God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. And then in verse twenty-three, He talks about the death of Jesus, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death whom God raised up. And so Peter, in this sermon, actually looks at the death of Jesus from two points of view, two perspectives, from the divine perspective, the perspective of God, and also from the human perspective. And so we see uh, the fact that uh, Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. From the divine perspective, the death of Jesus was according to God's plan, and God's purpose to redeem sinful people to Himself. Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And so while it was a great injustice from a divine perspective, it was an act of justice where God delivered His Son, gave His Son Jesus, And in delivering His Son Jesus, He delivered them into the hands of His enemies that He might be put to death and that He might be lifted up on a cross where He would die under the curse of God. And so God, by giving His Son, satisfies His wrath and makes it possible for Him to show mercy and grace to us without ever compromising His perfect standard of justice. God is just and sin must be atoned for and the wages of sin is death. And in the giving of Jesus, Jesus satisfied God's wrath against all who would ever come to Him in repentance and faith. And we see that God has given Him up for us and He delivered Him into the hand of His enemies and this happened by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Uh, God purposed before the foundation of the earth that He would create for Himself a people that would love Him and delight in His presence and glorify Him for all of eternity. And He created knowing that, uh, left to His own devices, left to His free will, that human beings would fall into sin, would fall into a condition of misery, and fall into a condition where they were deserving of God's wrath and God purposed before the foundation of the earth to give His Son, that God the Son would become a man, live a sinless life, and then die on the cross to satisfy God's own wrath Against sinners, so that he might be merciful and gracious. And this happened according to God's determined purpose. He outlined this purpose. He outlined the plan of redemption before the foundation of the earth and ordained that Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, would be delivered to his enemies, would be lifted up on a cross, and would die under the wrath of God. Uh, He purposed it. We read uh, the prophecy and. In Isaiah chapter 53, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him, that the Lord put him to grief, that the Lord uh, made his soul an offering for sin. And so this was the determined purpose of God, his plan of redemption, his plan to redeem his sinful people to himself. And so Jesus was delivered up by the determined purpose and, and foreknowledge of God. And that word foreknowledge is the Greek word, you may have heard this word, prognosis. When someone's sick, we go to the doctor and we ask for his prognosis. What are you? What's going to be the outcome? What's going to be the end of this? And uh, our imperfect medical professionals make a prognosis, but God's foreknowledge is perfect. God is all-knowing. God is infinitely wise. And God's foreknowledge is not just simply looking into the future and seeing what happened. God's foreknowledge is based on His determined purpose. What God knows will happen will happen because God has decreed that it will happen. It happens according to His determined purpose. And so because God decrees it, it will certainly occur and God knows that that is what would happen. None of this took God by surprise. God determined that His Son would be delivered to the hands of His enemies, that He would be condemned, that He would be nailed to a cross, that He would die. Uh, satisfying God's wrath against the sins of all who would ever come to him in repentance and faith. And so from a divine perspective, the death of Jesus happens according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. It was an essential part of God's plan of redemption, of God's plan of salvation, of God's purpose to redeem his sinful people to himself. It required death. It required death of one who was perfect and eternal and perfectly righteous in order to satisfy God's wrath against sinners. And so this was God's determined purpose and foreknowledge. And and even though God decreed it, even though God determined before the foundation of the earth that it would occur, even though God Himself delivered His Son for us, delivered Him into the hands of His enemies, the human people who were involved in the murder of Jesus, are not released from their guilt, from their responsibility, from their accountability. And so from a divine perspective, Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. It was the accomplishment of God's purpose and plan, the fulfillment of his, of his plan to redeem His people to Himself. But from a human perspective, it was murder. It was a brutal act of injustice. It was cold-blooded murder. And so Peter not only speaks of the divine perspective, but he speaks of the human perspective also in verse 23. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. This Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who was attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs that God did in your midst, as you yourself know, You took Him. You seized Him. You grabbed a hold of Him. You arrested Him. And You handed Him over to lawless men who crucified Him, who fastened Him to a cross and put Him to death, who murdered Him. And so, just because this happened according to God's determined purpose and foreknowledge does not release the humans that are involved from their responsibility and their accountability, and their guilt for the murder of Jesus. And you know, Peter seeks to answer the question that had to be in the heart of all the people in in Jerusalem that day. He he concludes this sermon by saying this, God God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You know, the question that they had to be asking was how, how could one who was... God, how could one who was the Christ be murdered, be put to death? If he was so powerful, he did these miracles, these wonders and these signs. Why couldn't he use his power to keep himself from being killed, to keep himself from being murdered? Who ever heard of a dead Christ? Who ever heard of a rejected Christ? Who ever heard of a of a humiliated Messiah? And Peter gives the answer. This happened according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God by God's permission and God's decree, you were able to take this Jesus by lawless hands, fasten Him into a cross, and put Him to death. And He makes it clear that they are guilty, that they are accountable, that they are responsible, that they have seized Jesus. They arrested Him wrongly. They handed Him over to lawless hands. And this word could have two uh, two possible meanings in this particular text. Uh, uh, a lawless person could be a person who just lives in disregard for the law, who governs his life without any care, or any concern for God's law, God's standards. Or it could specifically speak of the Gentiles, those who did not have the law. You know, it was a great privilege, and Paul talks about this in the early part of Romans, it was a great privilege of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, to have received the the law of God, and they had God's law. They had God's standard. They had the Old Testament. They had the covenant that they were to. Uh, they were told very, very plainly what God expected, what God required of them, how to live in a right relationship with God. They had the law, and then the people outside, the Gentiles, had no law, and they were lawless. and And that's probably what Peter is talking about here, as he's talking about the. The Jewish people, the high priest, the crowd, the mob, the people in Jerusalem, they seized Jesus and they, uh, because of the, the, the Roman law, they had to take Him to the Roman governor for Him to be sentenced to death. And so He was handed over to the Roman governor who really didn't have the law. And though He was governing, He was governing outside of God's law, He was lawless. And those who actually performed the execution, the Roman soldiers were also lawless outside of the people who had God's law. And and uh, I believe that's what Peter is talking about here. You've handed him over to Gentiles, to those who were outside, lawless hands. And that's precisely why Jesus tells Pilate, you know, Pilate uh, questions Jesus in John chapter 19, and, uh, and Jesus tells him, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given from you from above. And he says, therefore the one who delivered to me me to you has the greater sin. And so those uh, Jewish people, those people of Israel, those people of Jerusalem, the high priest, the members of the Sanhedrin that delivered Jesus to Gentile, the the Gentile governor to Pilate were guilty of the greater sin because they had more light. They had the law. And so these people even though they saw the miracles, the wonders and signs, even though they knew that Jesus was innocent, that they they knew that He was guiltless, they knew that He was faultless, they seized Him and handed Him over to the Roman governor, who also said that He was faultless, that there was no basis of an accusation against this man. But in order to satisfy the crowd, He handed Him over to the Roman soldiers who fixed Him to the cross, who nailed Him to the cross, who crucified Him, and put Him to death. And so these people in Jerusalem are responsible and accountable for this greatest injustice ever in the history of the world. This injustice of putting to death the sinless Son of God by, for murdering God the Son. They are guilty. They are accountable for their actions. Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, and yet... These sinful people are accountable. They acted as free moral agents. They made decisions based on their wicked hearts and their hatred of the light, their hatred of the truth. And they seized Jesus, handed him over to the Gentiles, where he was put to death. And they are responsible and accountable for that. And so. Peter talks of the death of Jesus from both perspectives, from the divine perspective. He was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. It was part of God's plan for the redemption of sinful people to Himself. God's plan that satisfied His justice and His mercy. Uh, Jesus took the penalty, paid the price for the sins of all who would ever come to Him in repentance and faith. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah said, but God laid on Him the iniquity of us all. God's justice was satisfied so that God could be merciful and forgiving to all who come in repentance and faith without compromising His absolute standard of justice that sin must be punished. It was a plan that satisfied God's wrath, God's justice, and God's mercy and God's love by sending Jesus to die for the sins of His people. And so these men are, uh, and and from the, the human perspective, lawless hands crucified and put Him to death, They murdered the one that God had made, both Lord and Christ. And even though they're guilty, and they're responsible, and they're accountable, the death of Jesus actually made the way for them to be forgiven. And we see that at the end of the sermon. Uh, There is the opportunity for them to, even though they uh, took by lawless hands, crucified and put to death Jesus of Nazareth, who was attested to them by miracles, signs, and wonders... Even though they put him to death, there is an opportunity for them to be forgiven. And uh, Peter presents that at the end of the sermon after the Holy Spirit had brought conviction upon them. Uh, When they heard that God has made this Jesus whom they crucified, both Lord and Christ, verse 37 says they were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter, what shall we do? And Peter tells them to repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. Repent and identify with Jesus Christ. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you too can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so even in their murder of Jesus, the opportunity for their forgiveness and for their cleansing is made available to them by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. So the second step in God making Jesus Lord in Christ was His atoning sacrificial death that was a fulfillment of His plan and His purpose as He used sinful people acting as free moral agents, acting out of the wickedness of their heart to take and murder the Son of God and it was all a fulfillment of God's great plan. And then Jesus, on this last night of His earthly life, gives us the opportunity and the elements for which we are to remember and proclaim His death. And so like these that are guilty, forgiveness is available to all who come to Jesus in repentance and faith. The purpose and plan of God was to redeem His sinful people to Himself. He created us in His own image so that we could know Him, and yet we sinned and cut ourselves off from God But in His great love, He became a man in Christ Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life and then died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against all who believe. God raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted and He calls on us to repent and believe and to put our trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for salvation. And when we put our trust in Christ, we've been born again to new life, everlasting life with God. And so the call to us is to repent and believe. And as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, you know, Paul tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that a man ought to examine himself before he comes to the Lord's table, before he eats the bread or drinks the cup. And the first part of our self-examination is to ensure that we recognize that we come to this table by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not anything that we have done. It's not anything that we are It's not anything about us, but it's God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. As Jesus died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath for our sin, and we come to Him turning from our sin and putting our trust in Jesus Christ. And we examine ourselves and acknowledge the body of Christ. When we are baptized into Christ, we're baptized into the body of Christ. And and, uh, uh, we have this community of faith, and we come and we celebrate communion Together, as the body of Christ, when we trust in Jesus, we're a vital organ in His body. And we come together, uh, recognizing our duties and obligations as a part of the body of Christ and our community and our faith family, recognizing God's grace toward us in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose in four For knowledge of God, He was taken by lawless hands, crucified and put to death so that we might have life and we might have forgiveness of sins. And Jesus gives us these elements to enable us to remember. On the night that He was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so we come to this time as we prepare to eat the bread and take the cup that we examine ourselves and we're going to have this time of examination as we sing uh, the the hymn, When I Survey the Wonders Cross, hymn 200.